I'm Tom Ray from the band Lorenzo's Music, and you're listening to the Lorenzo's Music Podcast. So the point of this show is we wanted to go out and meet more bands, more musicians, get more involved in the creative community around us. Today is kind of a two-part episode because one thing that happened while these episodes were coming out was a person that uses our music in his YouTube video, and he's been using it for quite some time, all of a sudden got a takedown notice, and it was not from us. My name is Anthony, and I am a photographer and videographer for Black Claw Photo. Most services tell you, hey, would you like to monetize your YouTube videos? What do you do if you actually license your music, or what if you agree to let someone use it? I know it doesn't come up a lot, but what would you do? Who do you contact? And in this case, it wasn't even the people that we distribute through. So check it out as this tale unfolds, and the ridiculous reason behind it all. First of all, let's talk about the video that, or what you do as far as uh, Black Puff Photo. Well, initially when that video was made, we were doing personal photography and weddings. So our friends were getting married in Manhattan, the city hall. So we figured it would be cute to just shoot some footage and then turn it into a video, which is kind of how we found your music because your music, the playfulness and just hmm. what the words that you were saying for that particular song made the video pretty funny. You know, so we just did it kind of for fun. And then we thought it would be cool to put it in our portfolio, even though it wasn't a paid, you know, it wasn't a paid video. It was just for friends and because it, it came out kind of cute and they enjoy it. First of all, how did you find it? Where, where did you find it exactly? I was big into open source back then. So I probably was just searching for open source music and things like that. You know, when I found out that there were people that were making open source music, I found that interesting as well. So, yeah, I even found a site where basically you can put in a piece of music, let's say a bass line, and then you can find a singer and a guitarist and you can all collaborate. I forgot what that website was. Is it CC Mixter? Is that the one you're thinking of? Yeah, that might be it right there. Oh, OK. Yeah, I'm familiar That's with that site. A while. It has. Yeah. Yeah. They, they uh, I've, I've actually met the, a bunch of people from there. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot harder to find that stuff then. Now there's a bunch of different places where you can find them. Even buying the licensing, we've been switching it so that you can do the licensing on Gemendo. Like, if people go, we'd like to use it commercially, I'm just like, eh, go to Gemendo. They have it all set up for me, so I don't, <laughs> I don't have to figure it out. But I'm talking to you today because we recently had to contact each other because you got a, a strike against you for using our song. And I was like, you shouldn't be. What's weird about it is, is the message you sent us, like, first of all, we, backstory, we used to have to claim our stuff because there was a company in Korea that used to go around doing this exact same thing, telling them, you owe us money for playing the song, and it wasn't their song, and I had no idea who they were, and I researched them and whatever, so finally, I went directly to where I was distributing it and said, hey, I want to claim my own music, and then people would contact me and I'd whitelist it, so these people reaching out saying we own this music, couldn't do it anymore because I had a company actively doing it. So I hated doing that. It was the worst case scenario solution because I didn't know what to do. And then what happened was is a few years ago, YouTube did that whole thing where they're like, hey, you know what? We're we're sending way too many like $1.50 checks to people. So now you have to have a certain amount of subscribers and a certain amount of minutes watched for you to even try to claim advertising, which everybody was mad about but it actually made things a lot easier for me. So I freed up our claim on it, and now it's open again. But you contacted me because Live Nation is the, is the company that said owned it. And I was like, okay, we've never worked with Live Nation. 
How, how did that go when they, when they contacted you? Um, they basically tell you initially that there's a claim on your video and that you can contest that claim. So they've now emailed me probably four or five times. And then they told me that basically they asked the claimant whether or not they would release the claim, even citing my evidence that I submitted to them, which is, hey, just contact the artist. This isn't Live Nation's music. You, once you ask them for a review of the claim, they review it, but they don't actually do anything. I think they just ask the, the person making the claim if this is valid. And then when that person says no, then they send you a nasty email that says your video is either going to be removed in a few days or you have to click that it's okay for them to play their ads on your video. And if the video is forcibly removed, that's when you get the strike. And so the, the situation now is that the, there's a little red thing on the video and it says that if I don't remove it in like two days, then I get a strike against my account and they're going to forcibly remove the video. And so to me, that just pisses me off because you're the artist. And if you wanted to claim, sure, take it. Right. But these guys aren't even like associated with you now. There's other companies. A big company in New York is called The Orchard Music. If you just yeah. search YouTube. They've been around a long time. Yeah. They do this as part of their business. They claim songs that like nobody has claimed copyright to and they'll just claim them. And I think that that's part of their business model. But the main part that surprised me the most is the fact that not only was it like, who are these people? Why are they? Why are they claiming our music? And second, like, who, how do I even talk to them? Because I don't know why they have it. How do I even contact Live Nation? And I looked up Live Nation Media, and they actually have a Facebook page. So that was a lot more. And the Facebook page only has like a thousand followers, which is interesting. So I knew that it was very small, and I just messaged them directly. And oddly enough, like an hour later, somebody contacted me. And the first thing he says is, have you ever worked or signed up for, I forget the name, but it was like this one company that like started up. It was like a little music startup years ago. And I signed up, forgot all about it. Uploaded one, uh, one song, the one song <laughs> that you're getting claimed for. So it's been sitting there since like 2011. And he said, we just acquired them. And that was where the problem came in. So I was like, okay, I went, looked on that on their site. I still had a login there. I went and basically what it was is there was the song we signed up when they acquired it. Live nation just shifted all the stuff over and said, okay, we're going to start claiming ID for this. You can't just go, okay, now we own it. And we're just going to automatically start claiming stuff. Like send me a warning. I didn't even know I still had this account. So I talked to him, explained the situation and said, we don't want our stuff on there anymore. It's like, okay, I'll remove it. And he said he did, but now you're saying you're still getting that strike. You still are getting, what, what was the response you got like a day ago that you just told me about? Oh, it's just an automated response from YouTube sta stating, we're going to remove your video in five days. Now it's three days. So if I go into my account now, there's a red dot that says video scheduled for removal. I, I didn't know like what you do in a situation like this when people are claiming your stuff. I don't have a lawyer. I don't have people that can look into it. So I had to be, uh, it's you and me against the world right now. And that's why this happens. I think they know that most artists are so busy just, so now if you do a, a bunch of blanket claims, mm -hmm. the probability that all of them are going to be contested and that you're not going to make the income from a lot of that music. I think that that probability is pretty low. And I think these companies kind of roll with that. The audio nation or the live nation guy goes, contact audio socket. And I was like, Jesus, I just spent a day talking to you. So then I contact audio socket. And again, they, first of all, these people have replied very quickly. So I'm surprised by that. I was expecting to not hear anything. So that's good. But I contact audio socket and she basically said, uh, okay, you need to contact live nation and tell them to release it. And I'm like, 
really? This is going to be the, oh, you need to go to desk C and get this form. And then desk C is going to tell me you got to go back to desk A and get this form, you know, that sort of thing. So I hope that's not what it is, but I want to, I want to resolve what's happening. I don't want you to lose your account. It's, well, we have a Vimeo account too, and Vimeo doesn't screw with you at all, which is really nice. These services go, we'll take care of all this for you so you don't have to. And it's like, that's great. But at the same time too, it's like, yeah, a lot of it is just automated. And the artist doesn't necessarily know how to go to that service and say, hey, by the way, I just made this deal with a person, so leave them alone. Because the other thing was, it's like, hey, if you guys have been claiming this song this whole time, and I'm just now hearing about it, where is this money that you're collecting going? Because I didn't even know I had an account with you anymore. So finally heard back from them. You want to know what this was all about? So basically I've collected $17 over this song. So this whole thing is over $17 over a period of like however many years. So it's the silliest thing. Like I'm even, I just wanted to be like, really? Just, just turn it off. <laughs> Leave them alone. It's and and the best part is is that they don't send you a check until you reach a cap of twenty five. So I'm not even going to get the money. I'm turning this off, and it's like they're going to get to keep it. Jesus. So the whole thing yeah. is stupid, is what it amounts to. But I'm still trying to. Uh, I'm get. I'm going to get a hold of them again today, and hopefully we're going to uh, make sure that your account and the video and stuff doesn't doesn't get taken down. And by the way, who thumbs down a wedding video? There's. I'm looking at it right now, and there's actually one thumbs down. Um, you know, it might be somebody who's opposed to marriage, you know, and uh, Maybe. I'm sorry for the two people in that video, although they are happy now and they have a daughter, so everything's good. Well, that's fantastic. Know? Even now, this episode being posted, what ended up happening was we never got the strike removed, so he had to delete the video, which is unfortunate. So now, in a kind of related matter, the person I talked to today is actually a YouTuber slash musician. My name is Ace Waters, and I do... I run a YouTube channel where I make weekly covers. I also do composition work and commission work where I write original music. Ace is actually somebody we talked about a few episodes back when I spoke to Rock the Jake, who also is a YouTuber. And after that episode came out, Ace heard that we were talking about him, so he contacted me. Of course, I had to have him on the show because I wanted to meet this guy. So how did, how did you get started doing your YouTube channel? Basically, I reached a point in my music career, not career, just my musical life, I guess, where I realized that I was constantly making music. Like I had released like independently on Bandcamp, I think six or seven albums up to that point that okay. no one listened to. Like I sh my, my mom would give me money for them, like my close friends, and that was about it. And uh, I'd even somehow managed to successfully kickstart the production of one of them just because I have supportive friends and a really supportive family who put a bunch of the money towards it. Oh. And it was a really like low level. It was only like a thousand dollars just to make the CDs. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have like 850 of those CDs in my <laughs> office right now. Um, but anyways, the point was that I kind of reached this point where I was like, I'm going to keep doing this. This is going to be a thing I do regardless of my audience or how much money I'm making. I should try to figure out a way to have it pay my bills, you know, mm -hmm. to have it be the way I make money. And so I tried a bunch of stuff. I tried, I made like an album that I did really professionally and I tried gigging that album and like, like open mics to like Thursday night shows to weekend shows, you know, try to work my way up there. That didn't work. Cause you know, I'm a really involved dad and just staying up late and then sleeping in and then not getting to see my kid was just really, really tough on me. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried busking was another one. Cause oh, busking is really big in Portland. Yeah the worst panic attacks of my life. Like it was, 
is an awful choice. Just the idea of having people walk by who are just indifferent yeah. to what you're doing. A lot of your stuff is very synth based. So when you were busking, were you doing that mainly with just like guitar or like you were just bringing one instrument? How were you? What was your setup? Yeah, so at this point in my life, I actually was just starting to get into synth music. Okay. Synth music's relatively new. Okay. So this was like six years ago now, and that was when I got my first synth, and that was like when I started getting into synthesized music. Mm-hmm. When I was busking, I was doing guitar loops. So it was electric guitar, and I had a pedal board. Oh, you did? And I, yep. Okay. And so what I'd do is I'd bring a like a big like emergency battery, like rechargeable emergency battery. With, hmm. That was like the one you keep in your car that you could like plug the pedal board into. <laughs> Okay. And so I just have my pedal board and like a small portable amp and I would do like ambient looping stuff. So it'd be like very like ethereal, quite similar to what I do with synths now, just all with guitar pedals. What I was doing wasn't flashy and like to be busking, you really have to have like a big shiny thing that people will stop and pay attention to. And I was like, feel the mood of my like 12 minute ambient guitar jam just didn't work on the street. If I were to see someone doing ambient loops with a car battery and that his stuff's hooked up to, I think I might stop and go, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of those, you know, like I feel a lot of times I end up being the like musicians musician, what the kind of stuff I do. And so, yeah, you might stop. Like (laughs) average person walking by is like, you know, I want, you know, a guy who like shuffle dances and plays a Barry sax and like, you know, those like really popular buskers. Valid. Yeah. Um, in Portland, you know, we have a guy who paints himself silver and does like surface juggling. And that's, that's a big thing. But like, it was just not a scene that I felt comfortable with either. Cause like, there's so much emotion that goes into music and having people just, it's the indifference, right? Like uh, you're not worth what you're putting out. There isn't worth a second to pay attention to. It was just, really, really hard for me. And so the point is I tried a bunch of stuff, none of it worked. And at the same time, I was like, I'll, I'll make a YouTube video or two. And I kind of figured I'd approach it like most bands do, where it's like a place where you put your music videos and maybe I did a little bit more work, but like, I, I had no idea it would become my main job. Yeah. You know, it was like one of three plans and I loved doing it. Like I had always done, I was really interested in video editing from a young age mm-hmm. and this was a way I could do that. I could do like my super amateurish Photoshop work I could do with like designing my thumbnails and stuff. I really like doing that and I could get better at recording. So I was like, okay, cool. This is like all the stuff I like to do all together in one thing. I'll, I'll keep doing it. And it was really fun to do. I felt really good doing it and I could handle the bad side. Like I feel like any industry you try to pay your dues in is going to have that like nasty part that you have to kind of slog through oh, of course and with youtube it's typically the comments like <laughs> it's the main thing you have to deal with is slogging through comments and i could handle it i was like oh you think what i'm doing is bad that's fine i don't know who you are you're probably 13 whatever like right and so i could like i don't know i feel like i have a really good head around me with dealing with that kind of like hmm. like just completely like invisible anonymous criticism i have friends who are on youtube who struggle with it a lot and for me i'm like eh, yeah they're, they're randos on the internet like whatever like but so yeah so that like i feel like i could handle the worst parts and i really enjoy doing it and so it just sort of developed and i can't even tell you how it went from that to being like a weekly thing it just kind of happened and when you set up your stuff on youtube you started posting videos or making the videos how did you get to where you are So the first reason why I started on YouTube was because I had posted in 2004 when it was like barely even a thing. Yeah. 
I had uploaded a video of my dumb friends at my rich friend's house in the country. Um, <laughs> and we were making like taking two liters, uh, two liter bottles and putting dry ice in them with water and shaking them up until they explode. Nice. Uh, and my friend did that with one and the whole, the, there's like a really like, it's really stupid. The more dry ice you put in does not make a bigger explosion. It just makes the explosion happen faster because oh. right? it just creates more gas quicker. <laughs> so it explodes faster. So he was like, we're going to make a really big one and put a ton of dry ice in clipped off the top and was going to throw it. And by the time he got to here, it exploded <laughs> and like shot out of his hands. And so I was like, we filmed it. I was like, this has to go on the internet. Yeah. And we mostly put it on the internet to share with our friends because YouTube wasn't a platform. Then it was just right. a place you put your videos to show your friends. And I checked back in on the video in like 2012 and it had over a hundred thousand views. And <laughs> my channel had a like little notification that was like, you're eligible for partner status, make money on YouTube. And I was like, what? And yeah. so I went to YouTube with a partner ready channel. Like I was able to jump right into the oh, YouTube you ad revenue, the right into the YouTube ad revenue service, which was one the main reason I went, okay, cool. I have this platform already, which is funny because I make almost no money on ads now. Like it is, right. it is, it isn't even a part of like my budget at all. It's like, oh, extra fun money I get every month because mm -hmm. it's so little. But yeah, so that was like a real big push for like, okay, I already have this. I don't even have to look into how I get this. I just have it. And then I knew consistency was important just from watching other YouTubers. And after deciding I can pull this off, like, I did a lot of research in my first video, which is this big, my first really built up complicated cover, which is a cover of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance. Yeah. And uh, that took a lot of time. That took like two weeks to make because I was like researching how to do video edits and how to put like borders around my shots and all this stuff I wanted to do. And so always like the first couple times take the longest because I have to like look up YouTube tutorials every, you know, couple hours to figure something new out. Mm -hmm. But over time, it just became like, like my system kind of came to be and I started getting really good. I'm really good at like, you know, optimizing like, okay, I, this is my output. I've learned the steps. Okay, let's do it as quickly as possible when I'm yeah. actually editing there. I reached a certain point where I went, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. People are responding well to it. It's getting more views. It was, you know, it's not a ton of views, but it was way more than my Bandcamp albums that no one was paying attention to were getting, you know, so it's like, mm -hmm. okay, like, this is, seems to be a path forward. Let's do it. And I knew that consistency was important. So I was like, every week, we're going to try and pull this off. Once a week, we're going to make a video. We're going to make it happen. And a lot of it was just learning through doing. Like every week, trying to make it a little bit better, a little bit, you know, get get my mix a little bit tighter, put a little bit less reverb, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a little, like, and then like, it's really fun if you kind of follow the arc of my channel, like you see me like kind of buy into the loudness war for a while and then my mixes get really compressed and then they kind of, now I'm kind of coming down that as I'm learning to like get more nuanced with my mixes and get my stuff balanced better and not necessarily just over compress everything and mm. overfill everything. And you can see a lot of like really cool, I think it's awesome to have this like record of like, I have five years of weekly music making and you can see all of the lessons i learned throughout the way and all the ways i get better and all the ways yeah i change even just changes in my overall style and things that influence me you see it i don't know it's really cool the loudness wars is people saying whether or not you should compress your mixes correct uh to set uh, the loudness so that it's at a certain level yeah so so when i talk about the loudness wars i'm talking specifically about you see a trend in modern music to over compress so it's not like a matter of like 
using compression or not. Mm-hmm. It's just how much how much you compress your music. Yeah, and it comes from the like human phenomena that like our ears will just naturally hear louder things is better. Like we just naturally gravitate towards that. A louder sound will, on first listen, sound better to yeah. our brain. And so there was a, I think it like really kicked off in the in the nineties. Uh, Rick Rubin was a big part of this of like bricking mixes. So basically, yes. you you normally have like a waveform that's up and down and mm-hmm. dynamic. And we started compressing them so they're bricks. Yeah, it was and just so a straightforward wave. If you were looking at the visual file, yeah. Yeah, it just looks like a brick. Yeah. And uh, and so that was, and I think it came around a lot from like digital recording and the ability to like uh, like manipulate sound a lot more in the digital world. And it's a really interesting conversation. And I, I don't think it's inherently negative. Like, right. No, I think not it's, at all. It's, you know, I have friends who mix like metalcore covers of like video game music and it's like really compressed, really produced because you need to have those kicks cut through everything. And just the way they do it, it works that like that that bricked sound works for like certain styles of music and you know it's just a personal preference but for me i'm trying to just i i stumbled into it more as a crutch rather than a like purposeful decision because mm. my whole career has been me stumbling forward and just kind of figuring out as i go and so like i look back on those mixes and I, my main thing is like okay everything is super loud because like i'm i'm trying to hide my flaws in like overpacking a song with too many parts and then like, you know, cause then you don't focus on one part as much. And so yeah. that's been a lesson I've learned is like, I, my, my guiding mantra for all of 2018 was do more with less. And with that came the loudness too. Like I just, I don't know, I, I mix a little less compressed as I used to. You were putting your stuff up there and being consistent with it. Did people just find it or were you promoting yourself? Like how did people learn about your channel? At first, it was super slow going. I think doing covers was helpful because people would search for it. When I first started, you know, I was I was working another job and I was doing music as like a part time side thing, passion project. And so I didn't have I didn't have a budget or like I didn't have any budget for marketing. I still don't have any budget for marketing. Okay, um, that's like my biggest problem right now is I have like zero marketing budget because you're uh, putting it all back into what you do, or because you're living off of it, or now I'm living off of it, and that's wow. because um, my marketing was sharing on social media, encouraging more people to find me on social media, making connections with people. Like naturally, uh, the first big, it wasn't even really a boom, but it was like the slow drip that kept me going was I went to a music convention that's like a video game convention on the East Coast called MAGFest. And I met a bunch of incredible creators and I became friends with a bunch of people who were doing YouTube and trying to make it, who were in similar places to me. And I kind of got to know them and then we would, you know, be like sharing each other's stuff. And that kind of got me connected with more communities. Like, you know, if you have 10 people who all have a hundred fans, they start seeing each other's stuff that helps you grow. I was reaching a point where my channel was growing, but it was very slow growth over the first two years. And I kind of reached a point where I was like, all right, uh, I had my my job I was working. I was taking pictures of houses for insurance companies. It was like a independent contractor job. I would walk around the outside of houses and take hmm. pictures of the houses. And the company was like, you need to upgrade your camera to a camera that has GPS and I was only using digital SLR. So the only digital SLR that had GPS was a really expensive camera. And I was mm. like, I can't, I can't do this. And they said, well, do it or you're fired. We, we won't hire you anymore, I guess. <laughs> and it was right around that time that I said, okay, my wife had a pretty good job doing, uh, you know, child, child care and nannying and oh. we had some savings. And so we're like, I'm going to try to do a year. And by the end of the year, if I'm not 
established enough to be making decent money off of this, I'll find a replacement job for this job. But I think we'll be okay for this year if I just focus full time on YouTube. And so I did that. And at the end of the year, I was still super slow growth, wasn't where I needed to be. And I was like, all right, let's go find a new job. And right around that time, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Rich. He has a channel, Richardi B. Him and I were both covering songs from this new indie darling game called Undertale. And we were like, we both really like this game. This game means a lot to both of us. Let's put an album together. We're both releasing a lot of music. It seems to be getting really popular hmm. with people. Our covers, like they were, they were the covers were getting a lot more attention than other stuff. Either of us, I think, were doing. And again, at this so, point, it was just people finding the covers. Yep. Huh. And uh, and they got they got really really popular on Tumblr. They went they like they spread really far on Tumblr. And originally it was a split EP. We were each going to do three songs. Then it became a split album. Then it became a double album because we kept covering music from the game. <laughs> and uh, we were going to release it. I think originally we were talking about releasing it in like September, but then we kept making stuff. So it ended up getting pushed to December. And it came out on Christmas Eve. It was called Determination. It's a double album. Blue Side was my music and Red Side was his music. He does like progressive metal covers. And Christmas Eve of what year? This is 2016, December of 2016. Um Oh no, 2016 was Purple Side, so 2015. Oh, okay. Uh, we did a follow-up. I, well, of course I, you did. <laughs> After. <laughs> yeah. So we released it right before Christmas in 2015. I went to bed that night and said, you know what? If this album sells enough, we're splitting it like evenly between him and I, and then the creator of the game was getting a cut that we worked out specifically oh, cool. with him. Okay. So like we talked to him. He gave us his official seal of approval that we could put on the album. Like this is officially licensed by Toby Fox, which was super helpful and we worked out a deal directly with him so we didn't have to go through distro kit or anything like that yeah and so if i can make enough money to pay for my plane ticket and food to go to magfest that big convention again mm -hmm. so it was like maybe like 500 if i could make 500 and get to magfest and not have it like negatively affect my family's budget we're good and i woke up the next morning and we had already gotten like something like 2500 sales on the album holy crap overnight and we posted it at midnight like it just <clears throat> Wow. And, and so Toby had the official, like his official Undertale page tweeted it out and that blew it up. And then it kind of spread like wildfire and it ended up, it ended up paying my bills for pretty much up until 2017. It was like our, my primary income was that album. I love that. And I hate you so much right now. Uh, <laughs> <just Yeah>. I, <laughs> no, I totally, I mean, and it was, it was really was, it was like lightning in a bottle. We, and we were the, we were like the, I think the first cover album to come out. We had Toby's name on it. He yeah. was like directly involved in the marketing. How did you reach out to him? <laughs> so what happened was we knew he was very particular about just his game and fan art. We had seen him. He posted some like shade against artists selling merch with his stuff on it at cons uh -huh. and, uh, and how he was pretty bummed about that. And so we wanted to make sure we did it right. Huh. And Rich reached out to him initially and said, hey, I was just going to release a single through distro kid is that cool and he said if we were do it i'd rather do it directly and make it an official thing yeah and so that was kind of what led us to turn singles or an ep into a full double disc release right and uh was because he said i'd rather make it an official thing nowadays he has someone who handles all his licensing i think after two or three people did it like independently with him it started to kind of catch on now undertale is like one of the most covered songs in the video game music yeah. cover world Rich and I also put a lot of attention and care into the quality of our music. We tried really hard to make it like a conceptual like album, not just like this is video game music. Like we right. hired a friend to do really professional artwork. 
Um, no, you said tried. from the very beginning that you loved the game and it meant a lot to you. I mean, that was mm -hmm. that I think that had a lot to do with it was the actual passion that you had behind it. Exactly. If I'm not feeling it and I'm like, you know what I really want to cover is a song from this, you know, Wes Anderson movie that no one has seen. That's what I should do this week. <laughs> like, and so I try to balance it and I try to just, uh, you know, do what inspires me. That's kind of my guiding light right now on my channel. And so like, I don't think I could ever see something that's like, oh, this is making a lot of money. I should jump on and on that. Mm -hmm. It would have to be, oh, this thing I really love and want to do more of. Oh, cool. It's also like getting attention. That's great. That's going to work out great for me. Like it, the, it mm -hmm. has to start with the inspiration. And uh, even when we did, like I said, we did a follow-up album the next year called Purple Side. And the whole idea behind that was we had red side and blue side. And so we each covered songs the other person did. Yeah. And we call it the purple side because red and blue mixed together. <laughs> and uh, and so we each did songs the other person did. And that came out of both of us were like, I have like three or four songs that you did that I really want to do. Oh, cool. Like, let's put something together. Like we, when we approached the idea of doing a second album, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't like, all right, we need some more of that. Some more of that Undertale money, like that wasn't it at all. <laughs> and we, we were really nervous of even just the perception of that. We're like, oh God, I don't want to look like right. opportunistic because we both we're both like not super into that kind of thing. As determination became more residual, my Patreon kind of has slowly grown and kind of filled that space. Yeah. And now I'm in that really awkward space where I'm not quite making enough to pay all my bills, but I'm super, super close and going out and getting a job would take away too much time from my work that I would actually end up losing money. So I just kind of have to like push through this current time. You kind of have to get a little unique and start thinking like, what are some more things I can do or what opportunities can I create from the following that I have? And not necessarily go, I'm doing this for money, like even to apply it personally, I would like to do something where I create the things that I want to create and find ways to insert them in things or have people be interested in them and not have to go, oh, but I can also take the skill and apply it to a freelance thing. And then you spend all your time doing that. And now you're no longer making your own personal stuff. It sounds like what you're saying is like to do, make your own music and then like, say, get like licensing for it means you're making stuff that you're proud of and it's getting out there and it's making money. Whereas if you are taking uh, freelance jobs and composition jobs kind of in the way you have to, if that's your primary, if that's the main thing you're doing, you have to accept everything. Right? Yeah. And when you're accepting everything, you're making music you're not passionate about. Right. Suddenly and someone is your boss telling you, you need to make it this way. And it's like, that's yeah. not the choice that I would make. My whole thing is diversify as much as possible so I can maintain like creative authenticity. Mm -hmm. So if I were to just be trying to be a composer, I would have to take a ton of jobs I don't want to take. If I were just doing YouTube, I should probably start covering stuff I don't really want to cover. Mm. If I were just doing, you know, uh, if I were just doing uh, like licensable material, there's certain avenues of music I could make and probably make a lot of money. If I were to start like really focusing on making like, like epic cinematic music, that's the kind of stuff you want to make a lot right. of money on if you want to just do licensing. But instead I'm doing, you know, I'm doing my YouTube covers, I'm doing composition, I'm doing some licensing stuff. I'm doing a live stream. I'm starting to live stream more. Mm -hmm. uh, in live stream, I'm making like chill beat music. That's really good for like like people to like listen to while they're working or studying or whatever. And I'm just trying to like make <clears throat> as much stuff that I enjoy making as possible and just keep spreading myself out so so that all of that combined kind of helps support me. And yeah, and then Patreon makes the biggest difference of, out of all of it because that's people come to Patreon because 
they want to see what I'm doing. Like the best fans you could ask for all in one place. That's like my favorite thing about Patreon is that the people who would take that extra step and say, Hey, I want to give you a couple bucks every week are the people who are there for you. And it's really wonderful to look at that and go, okay, views may fluctuate. Subscribers are the worst metric in the world to judge your career on. But I have like 128 people who are like super dedicated to my music Mm -hmm. to the point that they'll give me money every week to make music and want to see what's coming up next. And so for that, I feel really, really lucky. What would you say is the one thing that you have the hardest time with as a musician uh, promotion self-promotion is okay. by far the thing i struggle with the most i don't want to ever say my stuff is good i can't like i don't feel like i should ever say anything positive about my music it's not a healthy perspective it's actually something i've worked through a lot of with therapy and like dealing with my own like personal beliefs about myself and yeah. like learning to say i like what i do i think what i do is good i think it's worth listening there's got to be some reason that, that you do it yeah, exactly. And it's okay because I can say that to myself, but like saying it to others was something that took yeah a, about a year of, of working through in therapy to get to. So I'm now at that place, uh, but I still struggle with self-promotion and how to do it right. I just don't, I don't have the, the, the know-how to do it. Looking it up is it's a very esoteric world of knowing the right way to promote is very, it's very hidden and shadowy and murky and YouTube changes every other month. So like trying to play the algorithm and play the YouTube game is nearly impossible because it's constantly changing. Recently, I've been tackling that by like, I've been promoting my Patreon more and I've been setting goals. And I've been like, because I I feel like this last year, I was kind of like dragging my heels with that. And I kind of reached a point where I'm like, okay, I need to be pushing, if I put it out there and people react negatively, then then I'll rethink it. But let's just start putting it out there more. And everyone reacted super positively. And like, I had a huge boom in my, in my Patreon and we're like, slowly reaching goals and i'm seeing more growth now and i'm like okay there is a healthy amount of promotion i can do there is a healthy amount of this side of the work that i should be doing so i feel like i'm getting marginally better at it but yeah it's still something i really struggle with see that's the one i have the problem with exactly what you're saying but in the sense of why i have yet to jump onto a patreon type platform because it's hard to go Thanks a lot. I'm glad that you've used our music, built upon it, all that kind of stuff. Uh, by the way, go over here and donate money for me doing it. It's, that's the part where I have that struggle. It, even me saying it right now, it's like, it's not crazy what I just said, but no. I feel weird saying it. If anything, being a Creative Commons musician makes the most sense for doing Patreon because you can be like, listen, I give this music away. I'm going to keep giving it away. Like It's available for you to use right. and make this is a way for you to help support me doing that more. If you like this kind of music and you like want to support this process, like, I don't know, to me, that's like, Oh yeah, that makes tons of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also understand when you have that like thing that gets in your way, it's, it can be really tough to, to like mentally jump over that because I've had that a hundred times. So I launched my Patreon when I hit 10,000 subscribers and I knew that I needed a big enough audience to really kickstart it, right? Like if Mm -hmm. I were to like jump into Patreon and just have it kind of pop up, like a lot of my friends just kind of launched Patreons when they were like smaller. And I mean, it's nice because you get that like, you know, a couple, like maybe a hundred bucks or so a month. But I knew that like I needed to have like a big, big thing and have it be a big announcement. And so having it be a celebratory thing that was connected with the channel hitting 10,000 subs made a lot of sense to me. And I released a video and was like, hey, I have a Patreon now, come and check it out. So I got a big influx of people initially. I went through a lot of back and forth about whether or not to just put a link in the video 
or like put a click like a clickable at the end like an end card click to the patreon or to actually say something mm-hmm. and i spent most of 2017 and a lot of 2018 not mentioning it like like audibly and i realized that like right now i just came to the realization that uh, calls to action are extremely important on youtube like mm-hmm. You just need to have them, even if they don't feel great. <laughs> and yeah. So it's one of those things that I think I'm learning. I'm learning how to self. I'm learning how to do good marketing and be slightly better at the business side of music. And uh, so that's the main thing I do right now. Is at the end of every video, I have a short, like, 20 second, like, "Hey guys, thanks for watching. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like my music, think about supporting on Patreon. We have a goal of $500 per video that I'm trying to reach. So if you like what I'm doing and want to support, every dollar counts. Like. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I say it, it's new every time because I really hate the idea of like a static like clip that plays at the end of every video. So I, I try to make it different every time. Yeah. And for me, like 500 per video is, is going to be like around like 1600 to $2,000 a month, which is like, okay, that's about how much I'd make if I were to quit this and go and work at Best Buy full time. And so that's kind of my goal right now. Composition is the thing I'm trying really hard to get into, but it's really hard to make connections in that world at least for me right now like there's an ongoing meme in my live stream that's uh like we need to find a game developer for ace we we need to reach out and find the <laughs> game developer because i really want to write music for either a video game or a movie i've worked on jacob's short film he was uh, mm-hmm. uh rock the jake he yeah. was the reason i'm on this interview right now yeah because you um, heard us talking about you <laughs> yeah and uh, i actually just finished doing music for his movie the quiet healing it's it's six tracks in the film and i condensed it down to four tracks it's actually available right now i just released my like ep of music from that movie it's on my uh Bandcamp page and it's also it just went event live on spotify and itunes and all that okay so if you just search like ace waters the quiet healing it'll come up every time i write music for someone else's thing it is the most i think it quite might be right now one of like the two most gratifying like work things i do like wow. like i love making covers and i and i, I don't want to discount anything else i'm doing but like like and it's because I'm kind of picky with the jobs I take, which is probably a part of why it's hard for me to find jobs. <laughs> and I only reach out to people if their thing they're making like connects with me. If I like, I see the like demo and I'm like, ooh, I could do something cool with this. Because to me, composition for if especially if I'm doing original like commissioned work, I want to be enhancing the thing you're doing with my craft, and I want the things that I do well to enhance the thing you're doing, right? So like every once in a while, I'll have a friend who will reach out and be like, hey, I need like like a jazz song written. And I'm like, I don't, I don't wanna do that. Like <laughs> I actually did like a, a, my first short film that I scored was actually a movie that uh, I went into it. I was like, okay, cool, who do you wanna do? He's like, well, I kind of want like, like a small quartet of instruments like maybe saxophone. I was like, wait, what? What do you, I, you know what I do, right? I do like synth music, but I ended up actually doing that job and I'm really, really proud of it. It's it's called Uncle Gareth. It was the first short film I ever scored and I'm really, really happy with it. But I guess the point is that like for me, the idea of taking something that I do and helping someone else's thing, like achieve like the, maybe the emotional like resonance it's it's trying to go for and have my work enhance that process just feels super good. And so like Jacob's movie was great because it's like a super emotional movie. It's all about, you know, like service animals and PTSD. And so like mm-hmm. one of my songs was like, let's try to capture PTSD in in an ambient background music track. Like that was a lot of fun. That was that there was something super fulfilling about doing that. And so that's definitely like a direction I want to take my channel in and or take my music in in the future. I want to do more of that. 
there's a director who's out of Quebec who I've been like friends with now for a few years, who's basically in process of writing a bunch of scripts in the hopes that one of them gets funding. Oh, wow. And we're reaching the final stages of, we're basically submitting a proposal in Montreal and in Quebec. There's like a lot of government funding of, mm -hmm. of film and of art. It's really awesome. And so they basically have to submit this like five minute proposal that's like, here's the movie we're making, here's the script, this is the, the mood we want to achieve, this is what we want to accomplish with it. And we're in the final stages of like, a like five step process to get micro budget funding for a for a full length. So it's like a small budget full length feature. And, uh, I'm actually hoping to write music for that presentation this month so that in January I can start working on it. So wow, that's stuff I'm really hoping to get into. And hopefully my name will start showing up on short films and maybe a video game and get into doing more composition. You should check out Ace's stuff on YouTube. Just look for Ace Waters. This is the final episode of this season, but I think I'm going to be doing some more. So if you're a musician or a creator or somebody who'd just like to talk to us on the podcast, head over to our website at lorenzosmusic.com or just send an email to tom at lorenzosmusic.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we'll let you know when the next episode is coming out. So until next season, I'll talk to you later. Later.